Um, before we move into the, the actual meat and potatoes of this episode, which is what shall we say? Uh, going back to Ezra, how? tell me about the teams that you had asked me to provide my insight on. I'm, I'm aloof. I don't know what happened. You're not a prophet. You're not a prophet. I just well, want to okay. start there. I, I wasn't um, expecting you, that. Yeah, you, never claimed to be one. <laughs> but you, 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 you only batted like a little up, uh, above 600. So you, you called Divine right. They did beat Hondo. Uh, you called Natalia right. They 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 did beat Lytle. But okay. I think you called my UTSA Roadrunners, and they were in the game for a while, and then they were not in the game. Um, so <laughs> I'm blaming it on you now. Um, you, you, okay. You, okay. You, you just ruined it for them. You, you lost the game for them last Monday. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Compared to modern day prophets, I will say I repent. Never once did I claim to be a prophet. So don't listen to what I say, except when it comes through out of the pages of the Bible. At that point, we're good to go. (laughs) There you go. But anyway, well, I'm I'm very thankful that, um, for one, I was thankful to spend time with my family. I will say this for weddings, there's always a certain stress that comes with them. And so I'm, I'm personally thankful that my wife who was the matron of honor now gets to come back to everyday life without any issues. Uh, well, aside from our three boys and I'm very thankful that something that you mentioned earlier is that we have, uh, again, one new brother in Christ. Uh, and again, why does that, that's not safe but it is the profession of faith uh, based upon repentance. And so we are so very thankful for that. Uh, So yesterday, and by the way, we're going back to our normal roles. I'm the Grand Inquisitor, as Pastor Dan dubbed me last uh, week. Uh, And so I will begin my inquisition simply by asking, as we go through the one-year chronological chronological reading plan, what is the significance of reading Ezekiel and preaching from Ezekiel as you did from chapter 15? What is the significance of that particular passage as we see the, the grand scheme of redemption from Genesis to Revelation? So I know you said Ezekiel. I know you said chapter 15, but do you mean Ezra and chapter 9? Oh, Ezra. Yeah, sorry. Ezra. Yeah, Ezra. My apologies. Okay. It's yeah. oh, you're good. I'm, I'm having a Stephen Lawson moment between John and Genesis. Genesis. Okay, um, you're good. Don't worry. Um, I just wanted to make sure I was like, uh, I hope I didn't forget <laughs> preaching Ezekiel 15 somewhere along the way, because um, that could happen. Um, no, no. But Ezra, okay. Ezra. So Ezra nine. So where the the text that our church was in yesterday? What is the significance of it? Um, Well, the significance of Ezra as a book itself is it's a um, it's an account of uh, Israel's return to to the promised land coming on the heels of the decree of a a pagan king who has um, been led to uh, to restore the Jews to the promised land. Um, 
there's actually not much interaction in the terms of uh, Ezra's uh, own recording, so to say, or his, I guess accounts of his own interactions until chapter six. Um, but what we have uh, through chapter eight is the the workings and the uh, the exchanges between um, the Jew the Jewish leaders and this pagan king um, going back and forth and really clarifying what is it that that's actually happening um, and what what's being promised here um, and you see the the, the king. Um, so intent to restore the Jews to the land that he's willing to even almost issue a blank check uh, to 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 fund this uh, to fund this endeavor and to include the the restoration of elements of uh, places of worship and and culture within Jerusalem. So Ezra comes on the scene uh, in chapter six, and through chapter eight, uh, what you have is the the reinstitution or the, the the laying of the foundation of the the temple, the place of of corporate worship um, within the life of, of Judaism, um, and the reinstitution of of worship itself and the the proceedings and the affairs of the temple, um, and so that's that's just coming into the text. So in other words, they're trying to get life as a Jew would know it restored. Um, and what we see is the, the fulfillment of God's promise pre-exile to bring about the restoration of the, of the people of God to the promised land. Um, coming into chapter 9, after really things had just started to, to pick up uh, in terms of culture and life, sinners return to doing what sinners do. Um, and it's not to excuse it, uh, but it is uh, to, just to, to make the observation. The Jews go back to disobeying the law of God, like just as soon as life picks back up. And so um, in the specific events here um, have to do with the, the intermarrying between Jews and people of, not of the faith, um, which was uh, prohibited in the law um, because of the the not just concern but the 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 outcome of such marriages which would cause for divided homes and divided faiths if you will and as we know later on uh, from what the Lord Jesus teaches in the New Testament we cannot serve two masters which has multiple forms of application um, but as, as we allow the Old Testament to inform us and particularly around the subject of marriage uh, with people outside the faith uh, we know that a, a divided home in such fashion would almost always mean some element of compromise and facets of faith and religion so that's that's sort of the the I guess the, the background here is, yes, God's people have been restored, but they are going right back to what they do. Which I think uh, something that always leaves me in wonder is that we haven't changed much as a human race, uh, that the same issues and propensities that we see in Scripture, uh, some of them, a thousand, two thousand years old. Some of them way older than that. I mean, even back to uh, Abraham and his children, the the patriarchs. Um, we see that sin c 
continues to be a crashing wave upon us. And we don't really know how to shake it off. So I, one of the things that, as I was hearing to the sermon yesterday, that leaves me wondering is this, how can we as um, believers who are now on the opposite side of the expectation of Christ, but now we look back to his ascension, his resurrection, how can we as believers um, find practical ways to avoid the pitfall of the Jews during Ezra's time, where they were given the freedom to go back just as they were promised, but then as soon as, to quote you, as, as soon as they can get back to life and life is normal again, they get back to rejecting God, um, following their own desires. What are some practical things that we can do to avoid falling into that today? Well, I want to start by um, offering some additional perspective to some of the context uh, in the place of Judaism in Ezra's time, um, which is not too dissimilar mm -hmm. to our time, at least in, in some sense. Um, there's nuance, but and I'll right. get into that. So the sure. uh, it's well understood that that the decline of um, of the, the divided nations has much to do not with the word of God being proclaimed. We, we know that those prophets were proclaiming the very word of God uh, to, to those kingdoms and the warnings therein that ultimately led to their fall. But one thing that has uh, grown in greater acceptance is that the, the recorded word of God, i.e. in the life of Judaism, the Torah, was less available and less referred to in in the in the individual and corporate life of the average day Jew. And so coming to the return of the exile, um, Ezra is a prominent leader in, uh, in, for lack of a better term, rediscovering the Torah, if you like, um, and beginning to to teach the word of God. Um, we, we look at, at Nehemiah and we turn to that eighth chapter um, and we, we make much of this chapter because in there's the account that Ezra read the book of the law from beginning to end. So that had been the, the first five books of our Bible. He just stands up and reads it and the people of God stand upon the hearing of it and just weep. It's almost as though they're hearing it for the first time, and upon hearing the word of God, they're convicted of their sin again and again and again, as they connect not just their own individual sin, but the corporate sin in which they are inheritors of that led to their exile and has led to their, their current state as though people restored to the promised land, they're no longer free citizens within it. They're still subjects of this king, even though they've been allowed or permitted to return to it. So, um, Ezra is a, a Bible teacher, if you like, a, 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 a preacher, if you will. I'm, I'm really trying to, to, to at least give some, some uh, contemporary essence of what the role he's playing. Um, and it's not to say that everyone within the life of, uh, of Judaism in Ezra's day had a copy of the Bible, and were reading it daily. 
So this proclivity to sin, to return to their disobedient ways, should not be, I mean, it's surprising, yes, but it's also not surprising because the the word of God is not a prominent or central role in the everyday life of the Jew in this time. It's just be, it's just begun to be reintroduced. And so I, I want to make that point to segue to 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 answering to your question or the, the question you've raised um, to begin to sure. forget exactly how you framed it. And, and I, I also don't want to communicate any sense that there's a a possibility that we become sinless um, in, a, in a regenerated or born again state, having have, had play, uh, faith in Christ. Um, right. But, I mean, first and foremost, coming to begin to answer this question, connecting this with Ezra's day, Ezra's day and ours, it's impossible without the word of God being central to our lives. It's the word of God that serves uh, to be, as many have, have referred to it in this fashion, that mirror that shows us who we truly are before God. And in other words, it, it, it reveals to us where we are deficient and where we have greater dependency uh, and need for the grace of God. Um, but it's also the word of God in uh making us aware of our sin also gives us uh, a sense of the standard or the need or place for correction in our lives. So to begin to answer your question, uh, and I don't even know how to, if, if I were trying to slice this up in a pie, I mean, it's like 80% of the pie right there is, is the, the word of God. Um, absolutely. It, now, and I, I want to say it that way, not to say that it's exclusively 80% or exactly 80%. I don't want to be misheard in this either, but I am just trying to, to communicate. It's, it's, the, it's the, the Bible that, that is absolutely needed and the largest component to, um, to correcting our ship, so to say. Um, and it's other devotional practices. Um, Things that that we would refer to as personal piety, like a private prayer life, um, the the observance of Sabbath, the uh, the practices of fasting, and living life corporately with other believers, because even within our own, uh, if we stay within our own lane and just live life in a bottle. Yes, the Spirit of God will reveal to us where where we are deficient, but part of our understanding of who God is and how he works in and through uh, the, the regenerate, so those who have been born again, we, we also recognize that for everyone who has come to faith and has been born again, they are indwelled by the Spirit of God. And Every other believer, in other words, every other person whom we call brother and sister, become agents through whom God can also speak to correct us. And so we get into facets of accountability, uh, responsibility to brothers and sisters. So it's it's not that um, 
it's not just a Bible only. It's a it's a it's a it's a Bible dominant answer, um, but it's 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 also to include aspects of personal piety and living in in community with others who are of the faith, genuinely uh, of the faith. I think, uh, number one, that's a wonderful answer. And, and I think people can definitely take um, a good note of practices that can get us to walk closer with God and that will enhance our discipleship journey. Um, and I also affirm that everything has to be grounded and founded in Scripture. I, I would like to take this time to maybe address a um, an article that you shared with me based on the element of corporate uh, worship uh preacher they ain't coming back <laughs> um the, uh, the oh, okay. that particular um, article you shared with me on wednesday about how because of the pandemic and churches pivoting rather quickly to a social media platform uh, have created an avenue where people are saying you know what i really like being in my living room i really like being um in my kitchen drinking coffee in my pajamas or in my shorts and flip-flops and I can get my church fix. Um, not to simply, simply to speak to that particular article, how do we today in a very common phrase now in the church, in the church circles that you and I uh, participate with the post COVID world world, how do we encourage people to engage in the corporate element of worship beyond COVID-19? After two and a half years of social distancing, fear. Are, are, are you wanting me to answer from the perspective of a church leader or to encourage those who may be listening right now who have not re-engaged? I think we can answer, again, let's just keep it to the text. So there's this strong element of confession, right, in, in what you preached yesterday. Sure. There's a strong element of a congregation coming together to acknowledge we have sinned. We need to be renewed again, as, yeah. not, not just as individuals, but as a, as a, as a congregation, as a community. Oh, okay. Why is the, okay. How can this be applied to in a, in a world after COVID-19? Well, I, okay. So, the if I'm hearing what you're what you're asking me correctly, um, the sure. what I would what I I would start that answer by saying, it must be recognized that if our if our interaction with church has been exclusively through a television screen or a phone screen or the or, uh, some other device. We've not been experiencing, or I don't even like that word, actually. Let me take that back. Um, we have not been faithful, frankly. Um, we've not been faithful to the call to belong to a, a body. Um, because it's not just tuning in to church. Uh, the, the call to faithfulness with respect to the individual's responsibility to the, the, the fellowship that the Spirit of God has called us to is to be present. And that doesn't mean being a viewer. 
That means to be active and participatory, both in um, in the the, the city. The, the being alongside the brethren, the, the singing of praises one, one together, um, the, 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 the edification, the, the sharpening, the, the building each other up, um, that cannot right. be done remotely. Um, and so the, the encouragement would be to reflect upon the convenience that these channels uh, present um, the the continuity that they present uh, should you know folks be out of town for any uh, short period of time the the witness that they may serve um, but more importantly the, the the greatest sense of reflection is what commitment is there to the body of Christ um, whenever we haven't engaged beyond um, some interaction through social media. Okay, I think that's a very good response. And um, I think also that this awareness of uh, exercising our spiritual gifts, which is something that uh, through the Firm Foundations class, we, we, we addressed very strongly is if you're part of God's church, the, the people called out of the world to be light and salt and light to the world, then you are to, to go and make an impact with others, right? And so one of the key points in that discussion on Wednesday well, was the idea of you need to serve, but in order to serve, you need to be part of part of the body, live among the body, well, uh, which yeah, then allows I mean, us to be I mean, better and stronger just, together. Well, let's just, let's just make it this simple. I mean, if, if we have genuinely sure. been saved, um, that means we belong to the body of Christ. And we, we use this in two ways. One is to say the universal body, that's the church universal. That's the church throughout all time right? and around the globe. But we also belong to a local body of believers. So First Baptist Church Divine being right. one. And in both sense, we, we bear the, the image or illustration of a physical body, like the ones that are on, uh, on this screen talking to one another right now. And to say that we haven't been engaged physically is, to, is first we have to acknowledge from the body to those who have been uh, interacting exclusively online, you're missed. You are absolutely missed. It'd be none different than my this hand losing my thumb. That's 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 literally what happens. It, that my hand, if you think about the function of your hand, how I use this to uh, pick up my fork when I eat, to pick up my writing utensils, um, to steady my hand at my keyboard as I type, uh, any number of ways in which you use your hand to to grip your hammer, whatever that might be. When I lose my thumb, this hand loses a great deal of its function and design that God has given to it. And such is true when a member of the body is not availed themselves to the time in which the body gathers. Um, and frankly, it's not just you who misses out. It's everyone else who's, who's missing you. 
Um, we, we cannot operate fully um, or, or, and we cannot um, satisfy God corporately without you. That, that's, that's really what, what this comes down to. And I keep holding my hand up here to, just to reinforce the, the effect of what, what's lost when my thumb is gone, right? Um, it, 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 it no longer serves its purpose as a, as a normal hand. Right, and so I think I think that was a very a very uh, timely. Again, again, I personally do not believe that there are coincidences. I think everything God in His providence makes happen um, as as He wishes for His glory. So I think it was interesting to to hear you teach a sermon on this is how compromise, which is the big word that came, kept coming up yesterday, the compromise word. Um, leads us to to a place where if we are not part of the body, then that's where it it'll, it, it kind of starts from there. Like if you're not part of the body, then things begin to fall apart. And you couple that with the article that we uh, read that you shared with me this week, and then serving one another as we uh, use during firm foundations. It's it kind of drives the whole point of corporate life as a church. Um, so thank you for that response. I would like to ask now, sure. And this is purely, um, purely, purely out of your your sermon, and I've already alluded to it. Compromise. Um, how how should we as Christians view compromise uh, in, in the important matters? Now to quote again. One of our favorite teachers, Alistair Begg, uh, one of the things that we usually make a case of saying is we, ca we keep the main things, the plain things, and the plain things, the main things. Um, and, and that usually takes place here in our discussions as a staff. We also let that known to people when, when we are making decisions so that we, we remind ourselves to stay focused on the important things, which are the plain things. With that in mind, how can we as disciples of Christ understand compromise and how can we defend ourselves from falling into it? Um, building on the first response, which is you keep, you, you need to stand on the Bible, but how should we view it? How do we respond to it? Um, when we're talking about compromise in the sense of our moral or ethical lives, you know, how, how we, how we live a right faith or, a, um, a, a right life, if you will, in terms of a life defined by the word of God and obedience to it, the world is going to challenge how you and I live our lives every day. And it's going to not ask us or invite us to necessarily commit the most grave of actions um, in, in, in what we would know to be defiance uh, against God. Uh, in other words, um, and I, I'm speaking for just you and me right now, and from what I know of you, Carlos, sure. personally, neither you nor I uh, as I understand you or I would intend at the outset of any, uh, at the outset of any morning, um, 
right now to go violate any one of those commandments that I uh, that I mentioned yesterday um, about murder or um, or adultery for that matter. Um, and I'm not getting that one yet. Um, but where 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 the world lurks and where the and where the evil one um, uh, will 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 labor against us is inviting us to compromise on what we think are easy things or or negotiable things um, and that comes in facets or, or, or ways like how we spend our time or what we what we present ourselves with uh, in terms of entertainment um, or how we where we go and how we engage um, and so it, it doesn't seem like we're compromising when all we're going to go do uh, you you lift up lift up your hand a second ago referring to commandment number 4 when all we're going to go do is you know a, a couple of hours of cleanup around the house that we couldn't get to the rest of the week on our sabbath day our day of rest um and we don't think it's a big thing because well, we needed to get that done we just didn't have time the rest of the week um, to, to get that done. And well, we've already got a busy calendar for the next few weekends. So we've got to get it done now or it's never going to get done. Um, or we think, you know, that rating, it's not that bad. And so then we consume whatever it is of that, um, that entertainment might be through television or, or what have you. Um, it, it's, it's this idea that that we can convince ourselves it's really not that big a deal. And maybe it's not at the first step. But the thing is, we get very comfortable, so comfortable with it that it's not just like we, we've we've moved an inch before we realize it we've we've like a boat on the sea who has no who has no sail out or no anchor down. We've now drifted miles without realizing it. And that's the danger for the Christian when it comes to compromising. We, we think, yeah, it's just this one time, this one step. But what we wind up doing is, as the Bible describes it, though we, would, we have a tough time applying it to ourselves, is we become hardened of heart to sin. Um, we, we don't think we're actually committing it when we do. And so uh, this subject of Sabbath, um, we, we don't think it's a big deal because it's my time. I work hard. I need to, to be able to, to do what I want or to get done what I need to because, well, you know, that's the day that I have to get it done on. And before we know it, we're living outside the blessing of God and how we use time never able to actually catch up nor ever now nor ever sensing that we have a fulfilling relationship uh, that, that's lived in front of his presence we feel disconnected in the midst of it always wondering if i if i need to right. pray more or read my bible more or serve more ironically to to uh to, to reestablish that Yeah. 
Um, so all I, all I could think of as I was hearing you talk about how the compromise on just some of the ways we carry out life, um, there's a really strong sense in, in, in um, number one, um, in the world that we live in, primarily in the American culture, that that says the more time you spend doing things that would get you to where you want to be, to have your best life now or the, the best possible uh, lifestyle here, the better. Um, and, and that's so counter to what we see in Scripture, not saying that the entirety of culture is lost or against Christianity. That's not what I'm trying to say, but rather the value of getting our goals met and our, our, our checklists done at whatever expense, which is basically what you just said. I don't, I don't have time. It has to get done or it won't get done. So whatever I can take off shelf number one to get more time freed up so I can get everything else done, then I'll be okay. And the second one is this. Again, no coincidences. Um, Alistair Begg um, ha is is releasing segments of, I believe, a, a new book that he has, or devotional. Um, and one of them happened to be on Saturday morning on social media. And he talks about, well, what is the importance of Sabbath? And the, the, he goes I'm, on to I'm say, glad, well, Sabbath is a Alistair, time where we are... I was going to say, I'm glad that Alistair took cues from me uh, on this week. There you go. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm sure if he sees this, he will, he will definitely be, be uh, chuckling a bit. Uh, in, in this particular mm -hmm. uh, image, it says that Sabbath is meaningful because it, it gives us freedom to rest, but also it allows us uh, to rest upon our Creator. And sustainer. So there's a there's the physical rest from toil, but there's the rest from what this world has, and that's coming to our Father as a church body, and simply resting in Him as we praise and worship Him, reminding ourselves to whom we belong, reminding ourselves of who's number one, uh, reminding ourselves of the 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 true number one priority. Um, for everything else that goes in our lives. So I, th I thought that was rather meaningful to see how everything kind of just brings it all together. You, you act like there's a sovereign God who may be sending letters of mail. I'm not acting like it. I, 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 I declare that proudly simply because there is and i just love to see how all of that kind of connects <laughs> that's just it it it's cool. it's inspiring to me to see how that that works even through um mediums of communication that usually carry less pleasant messages um you know like ongoing news coverage of the queen's death or fatalities or crises overseas or wars and all sorts of negative messaging. The final question I do have for you is this, and then we can go into a free-for-all discussion. How important would you think is the discipline of confession for the church today? 
And what are some healthy ways that we as disciples, both male and female, can put into practice to to launch into this, I would say, almost forgotten discipline of confession? Now, for those who are viewing this video, we do not believe that you have to go to a priest to go and confess. We do not teach that. Rather, we teach that confession is between men and God, and we confess our sins to one another, not to to get a, pen, a penance or, or to be told how, how to rid ourselves of the stain of our sins, but we confess them so that we may be accountable to the body so that we may grow in God's grace and that we may see freedom from whatever sin is coming after us or in, in tempting us. So with that being said, should we continue this practice? How can we put it into practice in meaningful ways in the body of God, in the body of Christ, the church? Well, um, when we talk about repentance corporately, I think there's two ways that we, and I'm going to address that first, obviously. <laughs> um, but uh, there, there's sure. two ways that, that you see that um, expressed in a contemporary um, worship service like you'd see at our church. One is the opportunity in response to the proclamation of the word of God to come before the altar and and confess whether in, in private in front of the body or uh, through a uh, an expression of uh, desire for um, uh, any one of the ministers to pray with us that that confessor for a matter um, you, you you see that um, however um, there I see that as um, something that is less commonly occurring uh, because Satan has really struck a chord within the body um, to allow that to become a place of gossip. So much so that by our detection mm. of gossip with, with someone else, um, we, uh, a, we have a secondary learning opportunity to say, well, I don't want to be gossiped about, therefore I will never go. And so because that that has been something uh, somewhere along the line in our encounters uh, in those moments with church, I see that as something that is an underutilized altar where we where we can initiate that repentance, where we can initiate that confession and begin to that, that process of reconciliation and restoration. But because the evil one has sown that seed, we don't go. Mm. Um, and that friends, we, we've got to shake free from that. It, that is simply the evil one who is sowing that seed and we, we cannot be bound, um, to, to that in any way. We, we simply need to overcome that. And also when, and when, if, and when such, uh, such discord is sown, we need to go to that initiator in love and say there is no place for gossip or malice or anything of the like amongst the brethren. Please stop. Um, that's point number one. 
point number two that's not seen is really a corporate prayer of confession. Um, we, we don't include that in any element of worship that we do, um, but that, that is something that um, that might be from time to time an opportunity, be it a, a minister or, or a lay-led um, uh, uh, prayer uh, in the course of worship. Not that that that's that is just that a confession, uh, a prayer of confession before the Almighty. Um, that we too we are sinners and we confess this before the Almighty. Um, initiating this this sense if we're in agreement that um, repentance or confession must occur before reconciliation before restoration um, and ingraining that gospel cycle within worship would include a time of confessionary prayer um, so th those are two corporate right. opportunities I would say um, in an individual basis I mean that when 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 we're reading the word of god when we're sitting under the teaching of word of the, of the word of god when the spirit of the living god illumines to us where we're deficient we need to go to him in prayer right then and we need to confess that to him um we need to confess what it is or how it is we've trespassed as shown to us in the word and pray for the spirit to give us victory over that um but also or and also um, this is that that missing element of living in community with with others and that we see clearly within scripture that we are to confess our sins to our brothers um, that it's through that confession not that we um, obtain this word that we don't use in, in our lives uh, in our in our body life called absolution we we, we can't offer that um, there's forgiveness in Christ and that forgiveness comes from Christ alone. Um, but it's in that confession Amen. to our brothers or in the case of women, to our sisters, um, that we, we now have invited others to into our lives for accountability. That those brothers or sisters who are indwelled by the spirit of God can now become that edifying element that the body is intended to be to hold us accountable so that is if we have a proclivity to recurring styles of sin um, that in that confession to our brothers and, or our sisters that that they become the hands and feet in Christ to us that edify us and encourage us uh, when we are inclined to recommit that sin um, so there, there is so much here um, that, frankly, is a great opportunity for a, an individual Christian to invite others to uh, into their lives by um, and to express their confession before the Almighty. If, this is, and this is a really weird word, but it, to in this sense, but are just really underutilized. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's. It is so private that I think we suffer in silence um, in our sin, mm. like in this mental <clears throat> understanding that we're forgiven, but struggling with it yet, um, not realizing the power that exists in the body of Christ. If we would but trust our brother and sister 
whom God has saved too. Right. Right. That, that accountability is very important. Right. And with people that we can trust and walk with. So, and yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. Thank you for that. That, that. That's a wonderful response on both points. I, I, I would say this, um, because one of the things that I hear you, yeah, kudos, you have an A plus golden star. Uh, we'll reach out to Truett to make sure they account it to your to your current studies. <laughs> hey. So here is the uh, <laughs> here is the uh, the thing that I that I like about working with you. On top of everything else, here's a cherry on top, uh, and there are multiple cherries on that wonderful Sunday is that we always point people to the cross. That's the ultimate goal, right? As we preach, wherever we are, epistles, revelation, prophets, you name it, all the way back to the to the book of Genesis, we always try to point people to the fulfillment, the fulfillment of that which was promised, that we would be given a way to eternal life and that our sins would be forgiven. I really like the way that the chapter uh, closes because it, it it makes everyone present reading Ezra, those that were standing before Ezra in verse 15, O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous for we have been left and escaped a remnant as it is this day. Behold, we are before you in our guilt and no one can stand before you because of this, meaning their sin. I find it encouraging in one of the most bizarre bizarre ways but here here's how i find it encouraging i'm a sinner but i'm not the only sinner but i'm a sinner saved by grace because there's one who was able to stand perfectly and take that sin away to take away that guilt away from me and so for me that that always gives me a source of comfort knowing that when we read this uh, pa like passages like this or others that we've read through the prophets. I don't have to stay in the muck of my self-pity and my um, the wallowing of my sin, but I can see the hand of Christ that, you know, reached down in his sovereignty and set me free from my own sinfulness and my guilt and and sets me upon a solid place, which is his word, of course, and allows me to see the beauty of his redemption. Um, and I think that's something that m I think more churches ought to do, not necessarily present the beautiful aspects of the gospel all the time, but say, this is how, this is why this is so beautiful, because this is where you came from. And this is where some of you are stuck. And this is where some of you have been recently brought out of, um, I think that's, to me, that's a beautiful thing. To me, that's that's an encouraging thing. And, and yesterday, as I was watching online again, I found myself shouting in a very non-Baptist manner, amen, <laughs> simply because even with a hard, not a harsh, but a difficult message where you say, well, you're a sinner. You must confess. You must repent. And this is how compromise leads you far away from Christ and from God. But God is able to do this. And so to me, I was just, 
you blessed me immensely. I will say, I, I will finish it off like that. It, it was a great blessing to be challenged and blessed by a very difficult point of the text. I, um, I went to, my family went to lunch yesterday with another family and the, um, it was a, it was a joke, um, made in my direction, um, that was firmly rooted in sarcasm. Um, the brother said oh, to boy. me, but you really know how to tickle some ears. <laughs> well, yes, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. I like that. There you go. That's a good brother. Yeah. Keep him around. Well, Pastor yeah. Dan, do you have any other executive privilege that you would like to utilize? Do you have anything else you'd like to address about yesterday's sermon? Uh, again, we know we continue to rejoice because we have a new brother in faith. You know, I I, I think we need to... Um, we need to begin to think about how how we defend matters of our faith. Um, yesterday, I made reference to the canon that Ezra had and the canon that we have, um, and, and made a distinct point that that canon is closed. Um, and that, that right. was already in my notes um, to include. Uh, but it was in, in God's providence, I also encountered a couple of Mormons who came to my home on Friday night who um, wanted to share with me about the Book of Mormon. Um, yeah. And um, okay. they, they asked me what I knew about it. And um, I, I did share with them that I understood it was a work of a man named Joseph Smith and that he's a false prophet um, and that if if they would like to know about who Jesus Christ really is, they could come into my home, uh, which is the home of the pastor of First Baptist Church Divine. And they oh, came. Um, and they came in. All right. And so um, why why that why I'm sharing this is not kudos, Dan. Um, it's to say that these counter gospels, these false gospels are on the streets of divine Texas. And we who consider ourselves to be in fellowship either with First Baptist Church um, or, or just a Christian, we, we need right. to heed what Peter tells us. We need to be ready and able to give an account for the faith that we have. And if you're a Christian, you have faith in that Jesus Christ is God incarnate and that he went and after living right. a perfect life, living a sinless life, died a perfect death. Amen. Shed, his blood shed for you and I and was resurrected on the third day. He's ascended on high at the right hand of the father. But this point of who mm. Jesus is, God incarnate, is the the point of question that's on the streets of divine Texas from those who would claim the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm speaking or I'm referring specifically right. to Jehovah's witnesses and Mormons, who each deny the deity of Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the right. second person of the Trinity. Yes. And friends, we, we need to, to come to grips, not just here with this, but here with this, because 
the one thing that I would share with each of you is, or the, remind you of, you are a sinner who's been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because of what he's done upon the cross for you and I. Everything we Amen. have talked about in the 40 or so minutes that precede this has to do with confession and repentance and the shame that it's associated with our guilt for sin. Because we we have the conviction that we can that we are to be so much more as witnesses for the one who has saved us. Yet we live in this tension between the the already and not fully, because Jesus's kingdom's not fully arrived. Sin has not been erased from Earth's existence. All things have not yet been fully made new. But for these Mormons and for these Jehovah's Witnesses, they struggle much like the Catholic does with trying to earn their salvation through works. That's their, that's their struggle. Right. For these, these two who came to my home, one was from Idaho, another was from Utah, and they were very nice young men. <laughs> very, very nice. I loved my conversation with them. And though they, they, they wouldn't necessarily admit it, they, they are very zealous in what they believe, but they've left home, they've left family believing uh, in this person, Jesus Christ, but they, they've done these things and they've come to my home to share the Book of Mormon with me as one aspect of still trying to be reconciled to their understanding of who God is. They're still trying to earn that. And the beauty that you and I um, are inheritors of is that if we have been redeemed, we have been redeemed fully because it is the God-man Jesus Christ who has accepted willfully the wrath of God upon himself so that you and I might be atoned for everything we've done to transgress against God. So that is the nature of grace. Right. I don't want to sin, though I do. I don't want to, though I do. And though I do, and it pains me, I know I'm forgiven. But my life that I mm. live before others, I desire to live in the power of the spirit of the living God, bearing greater witness to the spirit's power to transform me day by day into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I'm absolutely human who's indwelled by the spirit of God. I'm not a God like the Mormons believe. My desire in this tension with sin is simply to bear greater witness to God's power and glory and beauty. But I know right. as I sit here and free, I breathe air a free man, though I struggle in many different ways that are unique to me, desiring to bring glory to the one who has saved me. And that mm. freedom that I enjoy is not a freedom enjoyed by any other person who is subject of to any other faith system of this world. 
because any other faith system of this world would have them trying to climb a ladder, trying to do one more thing, trying to earn their way to favor with their understanding of God. And as I left those two, I let them know as best I could that their eternities are based, are going to be based on what they come to understand of who Jesus is and that their understanding right. as it stands when they left my home was wrong. And so what I guess in answering your, did I have anything else to say? The word of God must be central to our lives, but more than that, it must become central to how we think, how we live, how we speak, so that we are ready to be the witnesses to a lost and dying world. Because friends, they're coming to our, the lost and dying world is coming to our doorstep. Now, I could extrapolate that to the immigration issue in the United States in many different ways. Uh, Jesus said, go, and they're coming. Praise God. But be ready. That's my challenge, I guess, at the end of the day. We confess, we repent, we are convicted of our sin, but we're still free. Um, because we are recipients of God's grace. We don't cheapen it. Don't want to. But we're free. And that is a gift from Jesus that only the blood-bought Christian gets to enjoy. And that is something that these gentlemen who came to my home do not know. And I have been praying since I met them that they do know. Um, and I invite mm. you to, to pray with me for them. Amen. Well, I... I... There's nothing else to say that the proverbial mic drop, let it go. So thank you for that. Well, we do want to encourage those that have stuck it out with us over the last hour and 20 seconds. Um, please um, send us your comments, your questions on the section below uh, for this video. You may also email us at info at fbcdivine.org, and we would love to hear from you. If you have questions about Christian faith, biblical studies, anything, uh, we would love to engage with those from a biblical perspective and just to get to know you a little bit. Uh, if you have any suggestions for topics that we can address, let us know as well. We'd love to have that as part of our uh, podcast. And I just want to say again, thank you to Pastor Dan for being so gracious, uh, always being a good sport to have a good time while doing this, but also for not being afraid of speaking truth in, in grace and mercy. So, Pastor Dan, anything else you'd like to say before we conclude today's episode? Love you, bro. <laughs> well, thank you. You are loved as well, brother. You are amazing. I, I, I'm a little biased, I'll say that. So, with that being said, thank you for joining us today. 